Let's turn to Jeremiah, please. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 33. While in Bible college, preparing for the ministry, it was ordained after graduating. And this is the ordination Bible that was given to me by my pastor at that time. And in the front, he signed it and wrote the words, Preach the Word. He included two passages of Scripture, Isaiah 54, 17 and Jeremiah 33, 3. I have never spoken on Jeremiah 33, 3, and I thought we would do that this morning. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and I'll read verses 1, 2, and 3. The Scripture declares, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it, to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Here in this passage of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 33, we're reminded as we walk through life, we'll encounter different crises and struggles along the way. You think of the many challenges that people are confronted with on a regular basis. Diseases, loss of jobs, death of loved ones, Accidents, financial difficulties, man-made disasters, and natural catastrophes. All kinds of difficulties confront people until that final crisis, which we would refer to as death. However, for the believer, it's not so much a crisis as it is a crossing over. Looking forward to that day. But in this life, no matter how serious the problems are... People who trust the promises of God do have, in fact, a bright future. For God promises to take care of us as his children as we walk through life's trials. He promises to encourage and strengthen us as we put our trust in him. And his wonderful promises are the subject of this particular passage of scripture. This chapter concludes what is known as the Book of Consolation. The special messages of comfort and consolation that God instructed Jeremiah to write down as a permanent reminder to his people. That we see in chapters 30 through 33. But this is referred to, this section, the absolute surety of God's promises in the coming days. In fact, verses 1, 2, and 3 deal with the the surety of answered prayer. Verses 4 and 5, the surety of judgment. Verses 6 through 13 deal with the surety of restoration, how the children of Israel, the children of God, would be freed from captivity. And verses 14 through 26, the surety of the coming King, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great promises that God has set forth here is that of answered prayer. This promise came to Jeremiah at a time when he desperately needed to hear from the Lord. He was in prison at this point for preaching the word of God. At the same time, the citizens of Jerusalem were also suffering. You see, the Babylonian army had already conquered the entire nation of Judah except for its capital, the city of Jerusalem. After being surrounded by invaders for 18 months, the people's food and water supplies were depleted. The Babylonian army was ready to assault and capture the city, and we know that did take place. No doubt Jeremiah felt the pain of his people's sufferings, as well as the anguish of his own imprisonment during those days of crisis. As would any believer, having been imprisoned for his faith, 
faithful prophets sought the Lord's help, asking God to grant deliverance and strengthen him. Verse 3 is God's answer to the prophet Jeremiah. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Like us to notice three things briefly this morning. First, God's plan, then God's promise, and God's power. The verse starts out, call unto me. Jeremiah's heart, no doubt, was broken over the suffering of his people. Troubled as a result of his own suffering, he was going through a very difficult time being imprisoned. And here the revelations of the Lord had already been given to him. And he knew the Babylonians were going to destroy Jerusalem. This was one of the reasons he was imprisoned. He was warning the people of God, repent, get right, turn back to the Lord. If you don't, destruction is going to come. God is going to punish you for your disobedience and rebellion. And certainly, that's what was taking place. And we see throughout history, God uses heathen people and nations to render judgment or punishment upon his own. This isn't because God is cruel. It isn't because he's unkind or heartless or unloving. He does so to demonstrate his love for us, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And here it is God who is sending this punishment upon his people because they turn from him. Israel was his chosen people, and they rebelled against him. They turned away from him, would have nothing to do with them. By the way, not unlike the nation of Israel today. Well, Jeremiah warned the people of this. Now during the final days before the nation's collapse, the sufferings and hopelessness of the people bore heavily on his heart. So the Lord encouraged him by inviting him to call upon him. He said, call unto me. Who is this saying, call unto me? Notice the first two verses, the word Lord appears three times in those two verses. And notice, if you will, the word Lord is in all caps. This identifies the speaker as Jehovah, the creator, the only true and living God, the very one who formed the universe and set it in place. As such, he has the power to answer prayer and to meet the needs of his people, no matter how desperate or how hopeless the situation may be. The name Yahweh, Jehovah, Lord, it occurs over 65 hundred times in the Old Testament, 180 times in the book of Genesis alone. And it is there, he is identified as God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Most High God, the Holy One. Who is this who says, call unto me? It is the Lord God of heaven, the one who has created everything. What a great God he is. What an invitation to Jeremiah. Who better to turn to than the one who created everything? Genesis 2-7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man began became a living soul. Genesis 7, 1, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Genesis 12, 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Yes, the scripture makes it clear that God has and does take a personal 
interest in His people. He demonstrates His love and watch care and guidance over us. And the Scripture is quite clear, not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well, that God cares for His own. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 emphasizes how God desires we would turn to Him in time of help and need. But the Scripture saith, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So who is this one who is declaring, who is stating, Call unto me? It is the Lord God of heaven. It is God the creator. And Jeremiah is great, can be greatly encouraged by that. And we as well. Now I recognize this passage was spoken specifically to Jeremiah. But I believe it is one of the great prayer promises in Scripture. God makes available to all of us and makes it applicable to all of us as His children. I believe this promise can be claimed by every one of us. For God desires that we would call upon Him. Oswald Chambers was noted as saying, We look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves. But the biblical purpose of prayer is that we might get to know God himself. Yes, the Lord desires we would commune with him. And by the way, that's why God created mankind, to commune with the Lord. God's intention was to walk with man in the Garden of Eden as he did with Adam and Eve before the great fall. Think about that. God desires to fellowship with us. What a wonderful God he is to care about us as individuals. Notice he goes on to say to Jeremiah, call unto me and I will answer thee. Not only do we see God's plan that man would commune with God, but that we would recognize the promises of God. Not only does God know and care for his own, but he's promised to hear us when we pray. What a blessing. Do we not find ourselves from time to time engaged in a sort of conversation with someone and we're talking and they're not listening? Or they're talking and we're not listening? That's not communication. (laughs) That's just a speech. But God doesn't do us that way. When we as God's children call upon Him, He hears us. When we cry out in prayer to our Lord, He is promised He will answer. He doesn't ignore us. He doesn't overlook us. He doesn't brush us to the side. Oh no. God hears. God cares. God answers. Jesus emphasized this in His ministry in speaking to His disciples and others as well. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Aren't you glad this morning God not only cares about us, but he listens to us and responds to our pleas. John 16, verse 24, Jesus declared, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. God desires we would be cared for. 
And we would recognize that he is able to do so. Psalm 91 verse 15. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Yes, the promise to Jeremiah was call unto me and I will answer thee. Isaiah 65 verse 24, a similar statement. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Aren't you glad? God hears and answers prayer. However, I would say this, there are occasions when our prayers are hindered. There are occasions when God does not hear, does not answer. Those would be situations where we find ourselves not in fellowship with the Lord. James warns us, you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss. Our relationship with the Lord is that of father and child. That relationship can never be broken. I realize there are some folks and some religious groups who teach you can lose your salvation. But we believe the Bible is quite clear. The salvation that we have is forever. We are born, we are birthed into the family of God always and forever to be his child. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That shall is a reference to eternity. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When we get saved, we are a part of the family of God eternally. We are placed into the body of Christ as his children. What a great joy. However, as his children, we like, like earthly children find ourselves from time to time being disobedient. Our speech, our conduct, our thoughts dishonor the Lord, grieve the Holy Spirit, bring shame to the name of Christ. At that time, we do not fail to remain a child of God. We are always His. But we are, because of our disobedience, no longer in fellowship with the Lord. Let's put it this way. In two examples, if we could. A husband and wife, united together in matrimony, one in body now, but yet there are times when that fellowship is hindered, a rift, some sort of friction has caused a division. Even though you two are still married, you're not communicating with one another very well. You're not in sync like you should be. Why? There's a wedge driven between you. That wedge needs to be removed. Forgiveness needs to be granted. We need to move on. And so it is as well sometimes with, ch- with children who are disciplined by their parents. The parent, because of the disobedience of a son or daughter, finds it necessary to punish them in some way. And for a time, that child's not real happy about it. But once that child recognizes the discipline came as a result of love and care for them and for their safety and well-being, then that fellowship can be restored. So it is with the Lord. You see, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have a promise in Scripture 
that God will answer our prayer. But if our prayers are going unanswered, first thing we ought to ask ourselves is, is my heart right with God? Am I in full fellowship and communion with the Lord? Or am I asking for something selfishly or amiss? Once we can answer those questions, we can move on. And we'll find that his promises are not to be taken for granted. For he can never break his promise. So if the scripture tells us that when we call upon him, he will answer, we have the assurance that if an answer doesn't come, it's our fault, not his. It's our failure, not the Lord's. Jeremiah knew his country was in trouble. He knew he was in a dire situation. And when God came and said, call unto me, and then followed up with the promise, I will answer thee. What a thought, what a word of encouragement that was for that troubled prophet. G. Campbell Morgan said, I believe the promises of God enough to venture an eternity on them. What a wise choice. Someone else has said, God's love never fails and his promises never cease. What a great truth we see set forth in the word of God. God loves us, he cares for us, he hears and he will answer as we call upon him. But then he goes on with this third thought. Not only do we see God's plan and God's promise, but we see God's power. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The word mighty here, it means inaccessible or impregnable. The picture is that of a fortified city that can't be breached because high, thick walls. The idea being conveyed is that God can and will do far more than we can imagine or hope for. How many of us, looking back over the years, saying, I never thought I'd be where I am today. It's amazing to see how God has worked and directed and led in my life and brought me to this point and to see how God has been so good to me when we first start out as a Christian we don't really know anything. We know we're a sinner in need of a Savior. We trust Christ. We, we have the hope of heaven, but we don't know what's ahead for us. But all as God lays out the plan and we follow that path of righteousness and we choose to live for God, we see Him working mightily in our lives. But even beyond that, when we pray, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. In fact, Ephesians 3.20 tells us that. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That power. It's the power of God at work in lives of his children. It's that power that comes as a result of our trusting in Him, our calling upon Him, our not looking to the world, our not looking to others, our not depending upon somebody else or our own selves, but it's our dependence upon the Lord wherein we see God step in, come on the scene, and do great and wonderful things. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now, in the context... This response had to do with Jeremiah and the circumstances he and the inhabitants of the city found themselves in. And it's amazing how God cares for us personally as his children. You see, 
when we call upon the Lord, he deals with us as individuals. Oh, we as a congregation might call out upon the Lord collectively, but aren't you glad he cares for us as individuals too? That's an amazing thing about being a part of the body of Christ. We are each unique as we stand before the Lord. We are each individuals placed in the body as it pleaseth him. He has chosen for us the gifts to which he's given us, the talents, the abilities, the strengths, and he has enabled us to serve the Lord. And as we do so, he shows us just how powerful and how personal he is in his care for us. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Think about that verse. It tells us the Lord is going to rejoice with singing over what is done through our lives. Sometimes we get the impression or get the idea that we're not very important to the Lord. Oh, contrary. God cares for each of us equally as his own. John 14, verse 13, Jesus said, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Yes, the power of God can be demonstrated in God's working through us, God's working in us, God's working around us, as God demonstrates His power at work in our lives. Why? Because we call upon Him and trust in Him. John 15, 7, Jesus also declared, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. What an amazing God we serve to care for us as individuals. A number of songs in our hymnal emphasize that great truth. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's love? The response is yes, yea, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for working in my life. We have the promise here that God's power will be evident in and around us as we call upon him. The question would next then be, why do we spend so little time in prayer? Why do we so infrequently turn to the Lord and call upon him? William Carey said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Do we sometimes have the idea that God will do great things, but he'll do it in and through someone else? Why not you? Why not me? God cares for us equally. E.M. Bounds, having written a number of books on the subject of prayer, stated the only limits to prayer are the promises of God and his ability to fulfill those promises. What Bounds is saying is there there is no limit to what God can and will do in and through his children. Martin Luther declared, 
None can believe how powerful prayer is and what it is able to affect but those who have learned it by experience. Do we know of prayer by what others say about it? Or do we know it of prayer through first-hand experience? We sing the, the song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, Sweet Hour of Prayer, that calls me from a world of care. Does it really? How important it is we spend time praying Asking God for help and strength and direction in our lives and praying for others. Heard a preacher many years ago give a simple pattern to follow in the matter of prayer. Starting out with praise. Praising God for who he is. Confession. Asking the Lord for forgiveness that I might commune with him. Intercession. Going to God on behalf of others. Thanksgiving, thanking the Lord for what he has done. And then petition, asking God for those needs that are specific to us as individuals. Again, in order, starting with the Lord and going through those things that are important to us as Christians, always in keep in mind, keeping in mind the value of praying for others. I hope you take time to pray more than just thanking God for the the meal you're about to partake of or thanking God for waking you up this morning. Oh, how we need to spend time in prayer going to God on behalf of others and as well asking God for guidance and strength along the way. I'd like to close with two illustrations that provide contrasting views on this matter of prayer. The first is the story of Hudson Taylor. Some of you know Hudson Taylor was a great missionary that went to China and was used mightily of the Lord there. But while sailing uh, on a voyage to China on one of his trips, the boat he was on neared a channel between the, the southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra. The missionary heard a knock at the door, and once the, uh, it was opened, the captain stood there. Mr. Taylor said, what can I do for you? The captain said, we have no wind. We're drifting toward an island, and I fear there are cannibals there. Taylor said, well, what can I do? The captain said, I understand you believe in God. I want you to pray for wind. Taylor said, all right. First, you have to set the sails. The captain said, are you kidding? There's no wind blowing. The crew's going to think I'm a nut. Taylor said, you want me to pray? Set the sails. Forty-five minutes later, another knock came at the door. It was the captain again, and he found Taylor still on his knees praying. He said, you don't need to pray anymore. We have more wind than we know what to do with. You see, Hudson Taylor had seen many miracles before, and he knew God hears and answers prayer. The other illustration, in contrast to that, somewhat humorous, but in a small Texas town... Several decades ago, a building was being constructed for a new tavern that would be open for business. The local Baptist church started a campaign, petitions and prayers to block that bar from opening. Work progressed on the building. However, right up until the week before the place was to be finished and opened, lightning struck the building and it burned to the ground. Church folks were pretty smug about the outcome until the bar owner decided to sue them. 
His claim was that uh, they were responsible for the destruction of the building through direct or indirect actions or means. Well, they went ahead and submitted a reply to the court, strongly denying they had any responsibility or connection to the building's uh, destruction. But as the case made its way into court, the judge looked over the filing documents, and at the hearing he stated this, I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that doesn't. Prayer. Do we actually believe God hears and answers prayer? He does. And when we think of stories like Hudson Taylor, William Carey, David Livingston, D.L. Moody, great preachers of the past, why do these wondrous stories of answered prayer always have to be about someone else? Why don't we hear about answered prayer more frequently in testimony meetings? Why don't we hear more frequently of answers to prayer as we commune together, as we fellowship together? I believe God can and will do great and mighty things in our midst Give him the opportunity, ask him, and see what he will do. Amen.